The aim of Black Mental Matters is to tell experiences with honesty. Therefore, some discussions may trigger an adverse reaction. If a discussion is beginning to upset you, we advise that you please stop listening and talk to your support team. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode 33 of Black Mental Matters. How you doing? I'm Vince The Voice, myself, along with Makiba Reed Johnson. We work to eradicate, to just get rid of that stigma as it relates to mental health in the black community. We hope and pray that everything is okay for you and yours during this COVID-19 lockdown. And we want to acknowledge at this time that uh, there's a group of us out here who are really, really facing some challenges. I'm talking about our friends and family in the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, think about it. Some are in various processes of gender identity or transitioning, now experiencing isolation, could be depression. Suicide has been greatly increased, especially as it relates to the young people there. You know, that went away to college and that gave them some resources, social networks and a safe place to explore their sexuality and gender identities. And now they're back home with family who may not be quite so understanding. So on this program, we brought in an expert, Mr. David J. Johns, a very accomplished man. You want to hear what he has to say. So we thank you so much for tuning in. Black Middle Matters, it starts right now. Black Middle Matters, Vince the Voice and Makiba Reed Johnson. And uh, Makiba, today we have the honor of having none other than, I mean, this man uh, from uh, the first executive director of the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for African Americans to now the uh, executive director of the uh, National Black Justice Coalition, Mr. David J. Johns with us. How you doing, David? Yes, yes. (laughs) Welcome, David. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Wow. uh, Welcome. Yes, yes. You're in uh, Washington, D.C., correct, Dave? Our office is headquartered in D.C., uh, but in addition to being uh, the ED, uh, really having the pleasure of quarterback on the team at NPJC, I'm also completing a Ph.D. in Columbia. Um, so I'm actually sheltered in place in New York at present. Wow. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So you've got a lot going on right now. To say the least. <laughs> well, David, oh, my gosh. Well, David, we're, we're, we're just so uh, honored. Uh, your career yeah. I mean, reading and, and learning about you, man, you focused on improving life outcomes and opportunities, particularly for the black community, and even more particularly, uh, you know, with the NBJC, uh, uh, the empowerment of black, uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people. So can I just ask, what what got you started on this journey? Uh, uh, yeah, so a lot of, it's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of challenges that are going on uh, on social media. Uh, and mm. I participated this morning in the Baby Face Challenge, and I posted a picture of me uh, on someone's stage with a trophy and a crown on my head. Uh, okay. Reminding folks that I have been. And essentially one of the questions that the person is asking is, you know, who placed that on the top of your head? And I responded, you know, grace that all of this has been purposed. And I, I, I share that because I do think it's relevant that I've always been um, an advocate for uh, what my grandfather who recently passed, the Baptist preacher, would mm. refer to as the least of these. Mm. Um, so whether that meant that I was getting in trouble as a elementary school student for advocating for more time for my classmates that had hidden disabilities or um, founding an organization while um, a senior at Columbia University um, to uh, respond to um, the convergence of ignorance and privilege 
um, uh, taking a pay cut from teaching kindergarten uh, because the uh, inequities that I saw in my classroom at my school, mm. uh, many people would t- told me would be solved by policymakers in D.C. So I took a pay cut from teaching to become oh, a fellow gosh. in D.C. to test that theory. And so um, everything that has happened uh, to date, uh, and I, I believe that even about the current moment that we're in as a, a, a global community, Mm. Um, for me has been um, ordained um, and a lot of it is uh, leveraging the privilege that I have inherited um, and that I've worked for um, to provide access to better opportunities for other folks that are not um, as privileged as I am. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. And so, you know, this program, we we again focus on uh, mental matters and and Mm -hmm. how things, you know, so so McKeeb and I were talking even prior to uh, uh, talking to you that the scenarios that are going on in households right now with, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, perhaps family members who are uh, LGBTQ and 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 uh, that dynamic that could be going on uh, negative dynamic that could be going Going on, and so we want to try to help some of our folks out there uh, make it through this time and just make it a, a better outcome. So, uh, where where do we begin, uh, Makiba? Go ahead, you, you fire fire away. Oh yeah, well, I, first of all, David, I'm so excited to have you on board for this podcast because you know, we we brought up something that we don't speak about in our community is the discrimination against LGBT folk within the Black community and the impact of that on mental health. Um, 40% of LGBTQIA plus black youth feel depressed most or all of the time. And 60% of youth have reported being so sad or hopeless that they stop doing their usual activities. And uh, black, queer, gay, lesbian, trans children are four times likely four times more likely to attempt suicide. So this is why I wanted you to kind of just talk about, you know, what this looks like in our community, because what's so different is that when we're talking about discrimination and I'm trying to stay away from, you know, the terminology, David, of homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, because that implicates fear. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, because it implicates fear and it's really... What I've seen, especially with right, it's it's ignorance, it's discrimination, it's mm-hmm. hatred, and mm-hmm. it's a violation of civil and human rights. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. So let me try to make a couple of points. I appreciate you uh, providing me with this entree into this. Uh, one, um, many of the stats that you referenced were included in a report that the National Black Justice Coalition was honored to contribute to um, called Ring the Alarm. Uh, the crisis amongst black youth and suicide, and it was submitted to uh, Congress via the Congressional Black Caucus. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an emergency task force that was established by a congresswoman, Bonnie Watson Coleman, out of Jersey um, to respond to the escalation mm-hmm. in stats where we saw um, many people that work with young young people, uh, not just black LGBTQ, but black youth generally. I want to make clear that I'm starting by just talking about black folks generally. Um, mm-hmm. as inclusively as possible. What we saw is that mm-hmm. uh, over the last 20 years, the rate of suicide, both attempts and completion, have been decreasing for all groups of, of young people, with the exception of black kids. Mm-hmm. Um, over the last 20 years, the exact opposite has been true. Um, the rates of suicide have doubled um, for black kids. And, and what we know, um, what I know, what NDJC knows, is that when a black America generally catches a cold, 
uh, Black LGBTQIA plus, and I use the term same gender loving, uh, in mm-hmm. part because uh, gay is often used as a white uh, male political identifier. Yes. Uh, that's important, and I'll come back to this because many of the statistics that you referenced um, that also included in that Glisser report that we contributed to uh, only account for the black kids that will identify as LGBTQIA. Um, there are many black kids, just like there are many black adults and many people more generally uh, that engage in uh, uh, queer, uh, sexual, intimate, uh, romantic relationships and behaviors, but will never identify as members of that community. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that? That is because uh, black people by and large live uh, with other black people. We are disproportionately concentrated in the South. We live in states mm-hmm. where it is legal to discriminate against individuals based on actual or perceived sexual identity, gender orientation, or expression. Uh, and so the, the, the world will have us believing in part because of how a white privilege works and, and, and how narratives are told uh, via Hollywood, uh, the gay people, uh, uh, mostly white people, but gay people get to come out to their family, yeah. uh, move to a gay person like Hollywood, California, or Boys Town, Chicago, or Chelsea, New York, get to join a gay um, uh, a civil society, a Stonewall group, uh, and then derive other forms of power uh, from their gay identity. Mm-hmm. That's just not true for black people. It is uh, most often the case that coming out um, are a term that I like to use, inviting in, because in part we don't mm-hmm. owe anybody anything. Um, oh, and there's a way that coming out uh, does this psychological thing of uh, giving heterosexual people this uh, uh, power and waiting for the moment when uh, queer people uh, reveal to them when they knew that they were different. We can come back to that later, but my point here uh, is that we live with other black people in spaces where we don't have the privilege of identifying publicly with members of the LGBTQIA community. Uh, all of that matters now because the, the states in the South, the states where we live, right, think about what's happening in mm-hmm. Georgia and in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, just, in, just uh, uh, in relationship to this global pandemic. Um, in, in those states, uh, black people are uh, uh, economically depressed. It has everything to do with the vestiges of trans- transatlantic enslavement, white supremacy, and anti-blackness. Uh, and when black people are challenged economically, politically, or socially, those who have the additional gifts and burdens that come with other marginalized identities face more challenges. And so I'll just pause this here just by saying that I am most worried about black queer people who are most burdened and least likely to have the kinds of resources that are needed to deal with those burdens, especially as it relates to mental health. Um, For kids who are or who are perceived to be queer, um, sometimes their homes are not safe spaces. And so we should all be mindful of the fact that um, there are some kids for whom uh, school, uh, in in spite of what we know generally they are, they can be terrifying spaces, but they can also be safe. Yes. Uh, and so I worry very much about their psychological and mental well-being as well as that of the adults that are uh, charged with uh, supporting their learning and development and growth. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. I was thinking about the the number of students and the data on the college students that are now home that have, you know, been on campuses or in schools where, you know, there weren't gender-appropriate facilities on campus and that there is a link to that information with it being um, those children or those students are 45% more likely to try to take their own lives because they didn't have that affirmation on the campus. And David, if, if you could talk to, from this platform, parents 
who are at home that, you know, don't have the language, don't have the education, but they've got the child and the child is there and the child is trying to communicate who they are and need that affirmation and that support. How would you guide that parent or that guardian into creating that space for that student Mm. or that child? I'd say three things. Uh, One is that um, there are resources to support uh, everyone in developing language and the competence uh, to be more compassionate. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage everybody to visit nbjc.org. We have a a LGBTQIA SGL terminology guide um, that you can literally download and it'll tell you the terms to avoid and why um, and the terms to use to be able to have these conversations and to be able to make space for people um, and the way that they've always shown up and that we're just now being able to talk about. Um, the second thing is that I would encourage everyone to remember um, that so much of this is about um, acknowledging that um, that which many of us take for granted is yes. uh, socially constructed, right? Like yes. what it means for somebody to be black or a woman or queer. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and I should be clear that uh, I don't want to assume that everybody knows what I, I mean by the term queer, but I really mean that to be anything that's not uh, white or uh, heterosexual or mm-hmm. otherwise the term that we use in the academy is hegemonic, that referring to those people in power, right? Um, mm-hmm. Those things are, they, they've been created, uh, right? Like sexualized city as we know it, many people take it for granted in this country in particular, but it's a relatively recent invention. Um, and, and so I say that to, to, to try and shift us away from the place where we generally start these conversations, which is uh, some people standing in judgment with their arms folded, uh, mm-hmm. not wanting to, 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 to be uncomfortable because uh, learning and adopting new language uh, requires us to, to, to be uncomfortable. Um, and to accept that we all have something about us that we otherwise find uncomfortable talking about in public because of the way that stigma works um, and because of the way that the instructions have played out over time. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so finding a way to see people as people, especially if you birth those people, um, is incredibly important for me, right? The the last point I'll make here before moving on to my third and final uh, response to this question um, is is a reminder of what Asa Hilliard said, which is that I've never met a child, a particular black child who is not a genius. I, David Johns, would add that I've never met a black child who has to be born. Mm. And so I will acknowledge that it's, it's difficult, but I would also say that we have the responsibility of doing this work. Um, yeah. I, I say that educators in particular who, who accept the responsibility yeah. of doing God's work and showing up in spaces mm-hmm. that babies are required to move mm-hmm. through. And I think that the parents who also have the responsibility of creating safe spaces for their children to learn and develop with it so that they can go into the world and deal with the things that we all invariably are, are, are challenged with. The last mm-hmm. thing I, I, I will say um, is that it's important uh, for people to find support. Um, and so much of the work that we do as an organization, we have, uh, we do a lot of cultural competence work. We do a lot of that work with historically black colleges and universities, as well as with pre-K through 12 um, uh, school systems and, and, and schools. And, and so much of what we try and do in those spaces uh, is remind everyone of the importance of listening to the baby. Mm. Um, too often, adults engage in conversations with young people, um, and with other people, um, not acknowledging that they, they, those young people, those babies, those children in your households are experts in their own experiences. Yeah. They know best what they need and how we can support them as they learn and grow. And too often what I have seen is that adults don't listen to have conversations where we learn from young people. We listen to tell them 
what we've done so that their lives are better than they otherwise <laughs> have to be. We listen yeah. to tell them what we're doing to try and shield them from other stuff that they're not aware of. And so much of what we try and do through this thing called Thriving uh, Summits, it's a series that I um, pioneered at, uh, in the White House while still working for my president, Barack Hussein Obama, um, and it's fabulous by Mr. Robinson Obama, but it's literally putting uh, young people and their needs at the center. Wow, this is uh, Black Mental Matters, and we're talking today with uh, David J. Johns. He's the executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition, civil rights organization dedicated to the empowerment of uh, black, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people, uh, including people living with uh, AIDS, HIV, and uh, I mean, just uh, as you can hear, just just so so powerful, David. And again, uh, Makiba talked about in in those households, you know. What we want to be able to do is give our audience some, uh, some, some, some guidance, I guess, and uh, uh, you know, as to how those relationships can be better. Because as as we've noted, when if 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 ever the ultimate happens where someone takes themselves out because of, of of whatever oppression they're receiving, then all these terms and 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 labels and things go away we we want to uh you know we just want that person back again and so Mm -hmm. um uh david the information you're laying on us man is just awesome and i I applaud you for the work that you're doing no doubt yeah yeah i appreciate that if i could uh respond to something you just said yes we should all be mindful that uh the loss of life is most severe i'm like having a a visceral body reaction and i talk to this um, and I think most often about um, Nigel Shelby, who is, uh, he would have been 16 on February 1st, um, but he was a 15 year old black boy when he died by suicide in Huntsville, Alabama, in part because he was bullied for being black and gay in a part of the country where it is still not acceptable to be either black or gay, um, let alone both at the same time. Um, and, and so we have a, we have an obligation to do more for uh, babies like Nigel again, who didn't ask to be born, and struggle with our own our own uh, lack of responsibility and responsiveness. But I also want to be clear um, that there are so many babies who die a literal death uh, because they are told that they are not uh, worthy, uh, not uh, deserving of love, or otherwise find validation showing up exactly uh, as they are um, in the spaces that they're forced to move through. Mm. Um, and, and, and so that shows up and, and this has everything to do with, uh, mental health. Um, the, the visceral, the, um, uh, response people have, uh, where they shrink, are they high parts of who they, who they are? Um, are they trade, uh, relationships with people, um, uh, um, and otherwise do this, um, uh, uh, psychological dance, um, where they are not able to simply be. Um, uh, I, I want to be clear. I think white supremacy wins when, when black folks are not simply able to be mm. um, self-actualized and whatever that means to us. Audre Lorde talked about that in other ways as well. Um, but but, but I'm, I, I'm trying to make the point that, the, that there are other forms of uh, death that we should be mindful of mm. that black LGBTQ people are much more inclined to experience because uh, uh, black people that in, enjoy and practice uh, heterosexual privilege uh, yeah. don't make space for Absolutely, absolutely. David, can you also talk to us about the importance of pronouns and also the importance of when you have a transgender child, the importance of honoring those those pronouns and also honoring that child or that person's 
new chosen name and allowing that dead name to remain dead. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I want to I, w- I want to separate two things. I want to and I'll start with the conversation about trans identity and then we'll have a separate but related conversation about pronouns. Um, and I want to do that because there's a way that the two get conflated. Um, and, and, and I'll come back to why that's problematic when we talk about black folks. Um, so I want to be clear that uh, and, and there was a uh, one of my babies, uh, Justin Calhoun, uh, actually giving testimony before Congress connected to the uh, black youth uh, mental health report that I mentioned, uh, talked about and gave an analogy about um, the, the trauma that's inflicted upon trans people when they're uh, misgendered. Um, and he talked about, uh, imagine that you as a black person, and he was talking to um, uh, black women, uh, uh, congressional representatives at the time, Sheila Jackson Lee um, and Barbara um, Watson Coleman. He said, imagine doing uh, work your entire life to find comfort in your identity as a black woman. Uh, something that Malcolm X said a long time ago is the most disrespected mm-hmm. thing to be in our country still today. Um, and, and in spite of you doing all of the work to find comfort in that, uh, every time you show up in some places, people refer to you as anything other than a black woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I want to be clear that, that, uh, identity, um, actually let me back up and make a point. Uh, uh, I want all of us to appreciate that we don't know as much, or we don't talk as much rather, I should say that, uh, in schools about, um, uh, uh, the relationship between sex and gender. Um, and this is important because there are too many people that don't um, understand that transgender mm-hmm. is the opposite of cisgender. Um, and a mm-hmm. cisgender is a privileging that happens when a doctor assigns mm-hmm. a gender um, that aligns with your identity, hmm. right? Um, and for the vast majority of people, um, uh, you were born with um, either a penis or a vagina um, and related biological functions that many people assume um, um, and, and, and many people take for granted are often true uh, when one is born with those um, genitalia. Um, but there are a number of people for whom that is not true. Uh, there's a small group of people that are born and doctors are not able um, to identify their genitalia. Um, and there's even smaller group of people who are born uh, with signs of both. Those people are called mm-hmm. intersex. And, and there are also people who are assigned a particular gender for a number of reasons. Um, and their identity, the way that they show up in the world, the way that they see themselves when they look in the mirror, the way that they um, mm-hmm. go to bed at night, um, it's, it's different and it's inconsistent mm-hmm. with the decision that a doctor made. Hmm. Um, those people mm-hmm. are transgender. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, a spectrum, just like there is a spectrum in terms of what it means to be black or to be a woman or to be a black woman. There is a spectrum with regard to what it means to, to, to be transgender. For example, there are some people... Um, that will refer to themselves uh, as a transgender man or a transgender woman. Uh, and there are some people that will refer to themselves as a, a woman or as a man, right? Um, and, and there are similar parallels um, for black people. Um, the, the, the thing that I would uh, implore everyone to appreciate is that uh, people should be respected for how they show up in the world. Uh, too often when it comes to black trans folks, um, the position that people adopt is, I don't care and I don't want to respect how you show up in the world. Uh, what I'm going to privilege beyond and above all of, uh, uh, that is what a doctor determined and what somebody put on your birth certificate years ago. And and to be clear, it's just flagrantly disrespectful. Mm-hmm. It's also problematic because uh, when we think about the fact that um, black trans women, more than any other group of, of, yeah. of LGBTQIA mm-hmm. people, are disproportionately murdered, uh, mm-hmm. many of their 
uh, murders were made unsolved because of this practice of dead naming the term that you, um, Akiba, <laughs> mentioned, uh, which is a lack of recognition of one's identity. Um, and there's lots of efforts um, that are happening across the country and that we're engaged in to change both policy and practice um, to, to respond to that. To shift a little bit to the broader question about pronouns, I want to be clear um, that, that there is a, uh, a, a, a movement um, that is led primarily by progressive white LGBTQ um, organizations and advocates um, to remind people about what I've referenced earlier with regard to um, uh, social constructions, um, uh, particularly around identities. Uh, and a way to do that is to name pronouns. Um, and so, for example, um, the way that this typically happens is that I would have started this conversation with you all uh, by reiterating that my name is David Johns and my pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, and what that would do, um, uh, for example, is uh, if, for example, I, um, I, I was non-binary or my pronouns were, uh, my name was David, uh, but my pronouns were she, her, hers, uh, because I identify uh, as a woman and with those pronouns, it would disrupt the habit of assuming based on my name or my physical presentation or other characteristics um, um, uh, how I identify in the world. Um, I, I, this is important. And I, I said I want to separate them because uh, as a person who cares about black people, I care much more about the ability for uh, each of us to see one another's humanity yes. and to make space for us. And I do the reflexive habit of naming pronouns, right? Um, and that's also why I'm being clear that that's something that uh, tends to happen in progressive white spaces. Um, there's much more work for me that needs to be done around um, church hurt, um, uh, uh, yeah. talking about the way that uh, religion, uh, Christianity in particular, um, is still used to uh, marginalize black queer people within our own communities um, than it is the, the often reflexive, superficial way of acknowledging um, uh, gender variance mm -hmm. based on uh, pronouns. It's important, um, but I hope that the, the, the I'm also being clear mm -hmm. that there's a, a lot more uh, nuanced work that needs to be done within black and He's the executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition. We're talking with uh, David Johns. And, you know, David, as I look at uh, your your bio, your history, you know, you talk about, you know, the fact that uh, as you were a young uh, black boy growing up in Inglewood, uh, you know, not seeing uh, uh, black uh, LGBTQ uh, men, and, uh, but still that you were able to become this powerhouse man here uh, and nationally, internationally, um, uh, the, the support that you were able to get from your family. You, can, you, can you talk about that a little bit? I'm still a black boy. will always be a black boy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, you know, my, my parents are both born and raised in Austin, Texas. My father is living in the house that um, I, I remember as a child visiting. Um, that belonged to my grandfather. Um, and, and and so, so much of what for me has been important is, is, is being a, uh, nurtured and loved and uh, encouraged by black folks who mm -hmm. uh, I think not only understood um, that I had the ability to show up in the world in this way, um, but, but that this is all connected to uh, other generations of black people who have sacrificed um, so that we can live these dreams, right? Like I, 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 have, I have a godmother uh, who lives in Columbus, Texas. Um, her husband, my godfather, who's incredibly important in my life. 
um, was a pilot. Um, all of the black men in my family have served in the military. Um, he worked on an astronaut in uh, 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 NASA space shuttle. I remember taking her to the uh, White House for. He reminded me of the time when black folks couldn't walk through the front door. Mm. Um, and it was within her lifetime. And then now here I am, her, her godson, walking around with uh, passes, right, uh, with clearance <laughs> and with with access, right? Um, and and, and I, I'm also clear that um, being in that space, that literal space is not something that I could have dreamt for myself. Um, but I know for a fact that there are people that I have never met um, that have existed and made sacrifices uh, decades before I took my first breath um, that did things so that I could be here. Um, so yeah, I'm incredibly lucky in that regard. And I also know that not not every black child um, is nurtured and uh, supported in ways that I have been, um, which is in part why I do the work that I do. And, and David, that, that's so important because when, you, when you're looking at the mental health data and we're talking about, you know, depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation and self-harm, that it's, it's actually been reported that the most important thing that you can do for black queer youth in particular is provide support and love and affirmation and 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 those are the things that are as powerful as the counseling and all that other type of mm. mental health yes. you know things that we can also do for the child but but i also want to just to, to mention in that is the lack of queer professional mental health um folks that are out there that a lot of people that go into therapy and and Dr. Alfie spoke on this too, that they spend a, the majority sometimes of their sessions educating and yes. answering a bunch of ridiculous questions yes. about who they are to the therapist. And, yeah. and, and that, that's in the medical community and mental health. So can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, I, I will, uh, yeah, a couple of things come to mind, three things in particular. One, I'm thankful uh, for the privilege of being able to access therapy. Um, it has been uh, incredibly important to me, especially as I have um, uh, invited people into parts of my life over the course of, of my professional um, career. Um, and everybody needs to go to therapy, just like I, mm -hmm. I know it's important for us to go to church and leave things at the, the mm -hmm. altar on Sunday, at least virtually now. Um, it's important for us to go to therapy as well. Um, but as a black Samson living man, I have never had a therapist um, who uh, has been LGBTQ or identified as a member of the community. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I, it's, it's interesting, but I spend more time uh, ensuring that I have a therapist uh, who is competent on uh, issues uh, connected to my blackness uh, mm -hmm. and what it means for me to show up in the world as a uh, black man um, mm -hmm. uh, more than someone who understands the nuances of also uh, having an intersectional identity. Um, mm -hmm. There are definitely times, uh, for example, when uh, thinking mm -hmm. about um, uh, uh, taking PrEP, which is uh, pre-exposure mm -hmm. prophylactics. It's a, a pill, much like a birth control that I take every day to reduce the likelihood of becoming HIV positive. Mm -hmm. um, I spent a lot of time talking to uh, my therapist about 
um, the anxiety that I have uh, taking this pill um, as a black man because I don't trust the federal government. I definitely don't trust mm. the medical industrial complex. Um, I think often about the, the Tuskegee experiment. Yes. Um, yeah. And there's very little that we know about a lot of these drugs in part because black yeah. people don't participate in the trials um, in mass so that we know what happens to our bodies in particular. Um, I had a black female physician uh, who had who was very clear about all of that history as well and had lots of questions and concerns, quite frankly, about me taking this pill. And I had to balance that with the reality that the CDC said years ago um, that one in every two uh, black gay men are, are same gender loving men. They use the term men who have sex with men, uh, which is problematic because it includes mm-hmm. trans uh, uh, trans women uh, who are not men who have sex with men. Um, mm-hmm. But they said that one in every two of us, if things continue as they have, uh, would become HIV positive over the course of our lifetime. Um, and so that was a point uh, in, in my um, um, uh, professional experience with, with therapy, um, that those two things, which are sometimes siloed in conversation, blackness and, and, and sexual identity, um, uh, were, were very much intertwined. And I spent much more time than I otherwise would have liked to um, helping my therapist develop competency around um, not only my experience as a black family loving man, um, but my experience um, uh, as a black family loving man in a country um, where we are predisposed to HIV, not because we engage in riskier sexual behavior, uh, but because of white supremacy and anti-blackness to, to keep it short. Um, and, and so I am, I am often challenged when recommending therapy to black uh, LGBTQ SGL people uh, because I know that that is um, an additional form of labor that we often have to sign up for and never get credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that is true for black people um, in, in mass. Um, and it is a problem that um, we need to uh, address, including now, given that all of these issues are being exacerbated by the current crisis. David Johns, I tell you what, man, uh, this has been uh, just an eye opener for, I'm sure, everyone, uh, but particularly uh, myself and Makiba to, to be able to talk to you. Um, you are a mm-hmm. uh, just a game changer uh, as it relates to how we process uh, uh, things in our community. Love the fact that, you know, what you're trying to do again, uh, make uh, our communities do better for the sake of our black children, which then means we're going to be better all all the way around. Uh, how can people find you, Dave, uh, uh, and, and get more information about your organizations and uh, your campaigns that you're working on? Yeah, I appreciate that. Also, uh, point of privilege, just want to say thank you both, uh, Makiba and Vince, for making space for this. We don't have uh, conversations about black mental health uh, nearly as often as we should. Uh, and so I applaud you all for uh, uh, ensuring that we do a better job of that uh, and in order to share space with you all. Um, uh, people can follow up. Um, would love to be a resource. Um, I'm at Mr. David Johns, just MR. My name, David D-A-V-I-D, Johns, J-O-H-N-S, across all digital platforms. Our website is NBJC, the National Black Justice Coalition.org. Uh, and if I could want to highlight three resources that I hope will be helpful to people. Please do. Um, and so uh, one is um, there's a... a Oh, I just, it, it blanks and I look it up while, while it comes to me. So there's a podcast um, called In Those Genes uh, by a really dope sister. She's a geneticist um, that I think is really helpful for a lot of black people that are struggling with misinformation around coronavirus. Um, and we're going to be doing some work together across our platforms, but encourage everybody to look up um, uh, In Those Genes as a podcast available on a number of platforms. 
There's also a really brilliant young scholar, uh, Kia Darling Hammett, um, for anyone who's an education wonk. Uh, she's a daughter of Linda Darling Hammett. Uh, uh, she's an game changer um, with regard to both policy and practice and, and, and how we approach uh, aging systems to be uh, more responsive to that which we've discussed and the needs of uh, black kids uh, and all their diverse uh, of, um, beauty. Uh, but Kia Darling Hammond has used her um, research um, uh, at Stanford to talk about thriving. Um, and in particular, what she acknowledges is that uh, often in therapy, in clinical settings, the goal for black people, for queer people, for black queer people is to, to be just enough, right? Uh, what mm-hmm. coping skills can you adopt? What strategies can you employ so that you can get by at work, at church, at home, mm-hmm. in these spaces where you otherwise can't be? Uh, and, and to the points that I made earlier around um, the importance of simply being in the way that white supremacy robs us of that, uh, Kia's research talks about thriving uh, and the, the components that are necessary for uh, black queer people specifically for the purposes of her research, but for black people more generally for the audience uh, uh, to really not only show up and uh, not only show up, but to show out. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I encourage everybody um, to look up Kia um, and her research uh, and on our website, you'll find more about that because we're working together on our um, Thriving Summit uh, series. Uh, and then I know that there are a lot of people who literally cannot afford um, a therapy. It is a, it's a privilege. Um, again, one of the ways that um, capitalism works uh, to our um, detriment. Um, uh, talk space is something that I'm utilizing yes. uh, because I can't date therapists in the way that I require to find a meaningful relationship with a therapist. And so I encourage everybody to think about um, resources like that um, for any black LGBTQ youth that are, are listening or digress this at some point. Uh, the Trevor Project has a hotline um, that I encourage you um, to use if you uh, are in a moment of crisis or need a resource. Um, and then there are a number of podcasts um, that um, we've actually shared um, at NBJC on the move at our Instagram page and as well on my Instagram page um, that are free um, and they talk about um, blackness and therapy in nature. There's one specifically about uh, black girl therapy um, that I encourage everybody to go look up um, and enjoy. Wow. Thank you so much, uh, David J. Johns, the executive director, again, the NBJC, the National Black Justice Coalition. And uh, we'll be looking uh, to hear a lot more from you, David. And uh, God bless, man. Keep up the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, David. Thank you both. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, That's what it is. It's Black Metal Matters. Take care.